0: Well, looking at John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18 this morning, uh, we're going to look at what is the proper title of this uh, section, which is the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd. We've been studying the Gospel of John together on Sunday mornings, and this Sunday we're continuing our look at Jesus' conversation in and around the idea of shepherding and sheep. This comes after a time when Jesus healed a blind man And essentially the religious leaders are still unwilling to see Jesus for who he truly is. He has said previously uh, to our text this morning morning, that he is the door to the sheepfold and that none who enter in any other way through him are actually his sheep. In fact, they're thieves and robbers. And he now goes on to not only speak of the sheepfold, but also uh, himself as the shepherd, in fact, as the good shepherd. Um, as opposed to those who are poor shepherds, as opposed to those who are anemic and weak shepherds. And so we'll see that together this morning. And this has a massive significance on our understanding of our great salvation from Christ. And actually, some of the things we see in this text this morning uh, help us with our Christological theology as well. But if you would uh, read along with me in John chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 18 this morning. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18, the good shepherd. Philip Keller pens a great little book on the 23rd Psalm called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. Well, then he gives the following about Jesus as the good shepherd. Let me just quote this rather long quote from Philip Keller uh, from this great little book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, what he says about Jesus as the good shepherd, as he thinks about that in light of Psalm 23. Psalm 23. If the Lord is my shepherd, I should know something of his character and understand something of his ability. To meditate on this, I frequently go out at night to walk alone under the stars and remind myself of his majesty and might. Looking up at the star-studded sky, I remember that at least 250 million times, 250 million such bodies, each larger than our sun, one of the smallest of the stars, has been scattered across the vast space of the universe by his hand. I recall that planet Earth, which is my temporary home for a few short years, is so minute a speck of matter in space that if it were possible to transport our most powerful telescope to our nearest neighbor star Alpha Centauri and look back this way, the Earth could not be seen even with the aid of that powerful instrument. All this is a bit humbling. It drains the ego from a man and puts things into proper perspective. It makes me see myself as a mere mite of material in an enormous universe. Yet, the staggering fact remains that Christ, the creator of such an enormous universe of overwhelming magnitude, uh, deigns to call himself my shepherd and invites me to consider myself his sheep, his special object of affection and attention. Who better could care for me so says philip keller repeating the question here that he asks who better could care for me we're going to think on this this morning and worship him worship the lord jesus because of what we find as an answer to that question who better could care for me here's the main point this morning that is written for you on your worship sheet that was sent to you via email. Jesus is the good shepherd who loves his sheep. Such a a simple main point this morning, but such a profound and important main point this morning. Jesus is the good shepherd who loves his sheep. I want us to see this morning three characteristics of the good shepherd. Three characteristics of the good shepherd. The first is this, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Look again at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. As we saw last week, we once again, Jesus make a declarative I am statement. In John, we've said this indicates a place where Jesus is very clearly identifying himself with the name Yahweh in the Old Testament, the name of God, the great I am, the ever existing one. Here he ascribes himself the name of the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. This is a good shepherd over against the wicked shepherds who we saw described as such in Ezekiel chapter 34 set against the thieves and robbers of the former verses we looked at last week. No, as opposed to the shepherds who do not care for the sheep, who, who God uh, 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 reprimands for not caring for the sheep. No, Jesus is the good and ultimate shepherd. Uh, the shepherds of Israel who so often failed. Uh, no, Jesus will not fail. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the uh, prophecies, all the prophets even of old who were sent to shepherd Israel, and some who did uh, really well, and some who did very poorly. Jesus is the good and perfect shepherd. But this is one with whom we can draw the comparison of the shepherd of Psalm 23. The good shepherd that David speaks of in the 23rd Psalm, as we mentioned in our opening um, from Keller's book, his look at this and his comparison and parallel here, Think on the good shepherd of Psalm 23 with me for a moment. He is a shepherd who provides. Listen to the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, the Lord Yahweh, the God of the universe. So when even when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is drawing parallels to even Psalm 23, we would imagine. The good shepherd, the Yahweh shepherd, the Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. By these things, by this sustenance, he restores my soul. Not only this, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He he provides uh, the sustenance. He provides even the righteousness for for the sake of his name. He is a shepherd who provides. He is a shepherd who protects. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even as we think about these wolves who come and are treacherous, as we'll see in our passage, we, we hear about the rod and the staff, the rod to, uh, to, to beat off uh, uh, those who might come and to uh, seek to destroy and kill, as Jesus says earlier that we saw last week, and, and, and the staff that steers the sheep towards safety. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even even as I consider that there are those who come to harm me, the Lord spreads out a, a, a banqueting table. Not only this, even in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Even though I know there are things that are going to come that are treacherous, the, the Lord has anointed, he has made those who are his own known. He's a shepherd who provides. He's a shepherd who protects. He is finally in Psalm 23, a shepherd who promises, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, There's an already not yet eschatological tension here. As we walk the earth and as there are enemies uh, that come our way, as the Lord protects us, as he provides for us, uh, we recall that our ultimate our ultimate existence is, yes, here on this earth for now, but this ultimate existence is, is coming. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life as I walk this earth, as I'm in the already, yet I also remember that there is the not yet. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This ultimate eschatological reality of Psalm 23, this eschatological end times reality of Psalm 23 and John chapter 10 about the good shepherd is that we will dwell in his house forever. This is what the good shepherd does. He provides, he protects, he he promises. And this is what is wrapped up in the language of Jesus in Psalm uh, 23, certainly, but also in John chapter 10 when he says that he is the good shepherd. And so how does he go on to describe himself as the good shepherd? How is this provision and protection and promise shown in John 10? Well, he says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. To illustrate this, he talks about the response of the hired hand versus the shepherd. Look at verses 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He, that is the hired hand, flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Unlike the good shepherd who... Uh, with his rod and staff as psalm 23 protects the sheep and ultimately is willing to give up his life for the sheep out of protection for them he he lays down his life in the danger of the coming wolf he he he, he attacks he 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 uh, uh uh protects by action he is willing to lay down his life for the protection of his sheep unlike that the one who lays down his life for the sheep the hired hand flees When he sees the wolf coming he does not care about the sheep he is only concerned about himself he does not want to protect the sheep because he does not own the sheep notice that phraseology there he owns the sheep the sheep are his he knows his own as he'll say later on the text and he lays down his life for his own jesus is the good shepherd who loves his sheep and lays down his life for them um there is, uh, of course, here this understanding of who these hired hands are. Perhaps we can think of them as the religious leaders um, who were uh, who were supposed to be uh, guarding and protecting and providing the sheep standing in the place of the good shepherd. They were not doing this. Uh, they were thieves and robbers, in fact. But not only are they thieves and robbers, but as the hired hands, they, when they see danger coming, they flee. Not so with the Lord Jesus. He is the good shepherd who loves his sheep and lays down his life for them. Quoting from Philip keller again a rather long quotation so forgive me in christ he demonstrated at calvary the deep desire of his heart to have men come under his benevolent care he himself absorbed the penalty for their perverseness stating clearly that we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all from isaiah 53 6 of course Thus, in a second very real and vital sense, I truly belong to him simply because he has bought me again at the incredible price of his own laid down life and shed blood. Therefore, he was entitled to say, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, end quote from Philip Keller. Unlike the hired hand who only flees when danger comes, the good shepherd puts his life on the line for the sheep. On the one hand, it's easy to see what Jesus is getting at here because we are aware that this is what he will do. He will lay down his life for his sheep. We know as well that he has the power, as he says later, to raise it up again. So this is Jesus here in this context of saying these things, of stating these things at the Feast of Dedication Um, which is, uh, of course, part of Israel's feasts and has to deal with um, what Jesus or what God did in the Old Testament. Of course, Jesus did too. Uh, But um, uh, it is at these feasts where he speaks so much of what he's going to do. This is a foreshadowing of this true event that he will indeed lay down his life. On the other hand, he specifies for whom he will lay down his life. It is his sheep, the sheep that he owns. He owns. We will see the full weight of this in our next point. But for now, we recognize that Jesus does not lay down his life for the goats, let's say. He only lays down his life for his sheep. Who are they? As he says in here in a moment, they are those that he owns. We must understand this from a theological perspective as we look over the span of scriptures that Jesus gives his life only for his sheep and that those who are the ones who God from before the foundation of the world without anything done on their part, God chooses to take out of the stream of condemnation those who were on that stream of death and destruction headed for hell. God says, he plucks them out, he says, you are mine and I will Give my son's life for you, for the sheep. Now, this uh, clearly raises the question, um, uh, is that unfair that God does that? No, we don't want God to be fair. Fairness would be that God would leave us in that stream of condemnation. No, we want God to be merciful (laughs) at the same time time that God is just and right in condemning us for our sin because he is a holy god and and we have been unholy and wicked and we are born in sin god in his grace and mercy plucks us from that stream of condemnation and it is for those sheep that jesus gives his life it's it's plain in the text we cannot get away from it you may ask though how do i know if i am one of the sheep i i really want to be one of the sheep i don't want to be condemned by God. I want to be rescued by God. I want Jesus to lay down his life for me. How do I know that? Well, if you're sensing that conviction today that you are not right with God, the simple fact is you need to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. God guarantees the ones who are his. From a human perspective, we just say, repent, turn from your sin and believe the gospel. That is how You are one of the sheep. That is how you are one of the sheep. Again, this is not based on anything good found within those whom God elects from before the foundation of the world, but according to God's grace and the counsel of his will, as as scripture bears out in places like Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. It is, however, based on an intimate knowledge that he has of them that we see in our next point that they are of his sheep secondly the good shepherd knows his sheep firstly the the good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep secondly the good shepherd knows his sheep in verses 14 through 16 once again jesus says he is the good shepherd once again this is a declarative i am statement look at it with me i am the good shepherd i know my own and my own know me Jesus now describes himself as the good shepherd because he knows his sheep, even as the Father knows him and knows, and he knows the Father. He, he makes a comparison here of his knowledge of God and his knowledge of his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The language is very particular here. In what sense are the sheep known as the Son and Father know each other? When Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, of what is he speaking? Well, he's speaking of intimate knowledge, intimate knowledge. The Father and Son have an eternal relationship. As such, the Father is always the Father and the Son is always the Son. Yet in essence, they are one. In essence, they are one. The Son is no less a deity because he is not the Father, but the Father and the Son are distinguished in their relations, and though they operate in unity, that operation works itself out through one of each of the persons of the Trinity, whether Father, Son, or Spirit. This eternal expression of of knowing, remember it says here that um, Jesus knows the sheep even as the Father knows him and he knows the Father, This expression of knowing is once again described by John 1, 1, in which John states, the word was with God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We have those uh, sort of that three-part language there, that in the beginning, before anything existed, the word, Jesus, as as John 1, verse 18 says, was, was with the Father in the beginning. That means there was never a time when he was not, but there was never a time when he was not with the Father This is an expression of that face-to-face intimacy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. um, Face-to-face, and yet unified in essence. This is not a flippant type of knowing. This understanding of knowing in the Scripture is often used as an intimate knowledge. The way in which this is expressed elsewhere in Scripture is an intimate knowledge in the way in which a man knows his wife intimately, Though that intimacy is centered around proper sexual interaction, there is an appropriateness of this in the married couple's life. No one knows or should know the man or woman in the same way their spouse does. This is why the Bible depicts Jesus as the groom and the church as the bride. There is this intimate knowledge. The church is the bride of Christ. Those who are saved throughout the ages are his bride. And Jesus is the groom. There is this knowledge that is parallel to the intimacy of marriage. Jesus knows his sheep intimately. They know his voice and he knows them by name as is stated earlier in our passage. There's this intimate knowledge. It is this set of sheep, those known by him for whom he lays down his life. So we see that this is not some random choosing of Sheep no, these are those that are known from before the foundation of the world, on whom God has set his love, in whom uh, the the righteousness of Christ will be imputed when Christ gives his life. It's an eternal plan, it's an eternal decree. and this is how Jesus expresses this. Who are these sheep? Who are these ones for whom I lay down my life? They are the ones that are known by me and I know them just as my Father knows me and I am known by the father there's an intimacy here there is a uh, sometimes the scripture calls this foreknowledge this intimate relationship from before the foundations of the world jesus knows his sheep intimately they know his voice i like what john Christosom rightly points out to us in 2 timothy 2:19 But God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows who are his. This is a church father, John Christosom, um, uh, speaking, uh, or Christostom uh, for some people, um, uh, speaking in, in his exposition of this very passage in John. He takes our minds to 2 Timothy Uh, to verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. It is this set of sheep that is known by him for whom he lays down his life. And, And then wonder of wonders, dear ones, as we consider this truth and reality, Jesus actually speaks about us in the verses that follow. Look at what it says in verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus makes clear that this flock of his, whom he loves so much and for whom he will die, is not only of the fold of Israel, but others who must be brought in. This is, of course, referring to the new covenant church, which grows out of old covenant Israel. There was always a remnant in the physical people of Israel who were also the spiritual seed of Abraham. Abraham. There is always a remnant in the physical people of Abraham who also are the spiritual seed of Abraham. In other words, there were those who were a part of Israel physically who did not have God as their shepherd, and they made that evident. They could not, along with David in Psalm 23, say that the Lord is my shepherd. They, They were those who were physically tied to Abraham, but not spiritually tied to Abraham. And, and as the new covenant unfolds in the life and ministry of Jesus, as he is um, uh, talking about his sheep, he, he brings out here in this passage this idea that was uh, given to us in the Old Testament that there were others of the flock that he must bring in. I, if I remember correctly, even Ezekiel 34 speaks of this, where it speaks of the, of the, of the wicked shepherds. I, I could not be remembering correctly, and that's okay. You can call me on that later, but I believe that is so. But these, along with the Gentiles who are brought in, become the one flock with the one shepherd. Jesus here is saying that there is coming a time after he inaugurates the new covenant that the Gentiles from outside of Israel will be brought into the spiritual seed of Abraham. Along with the remnant spiritual seed of the physical people of of Israel, there will become this entity known as the new covenant church in which gentiles will be brought in and certainly we see evidences of gentiles who are proselytized into the old covenant people but this is something new this is a new entity Uh, this is certainly born out of the abrahamic people of faith the foundation jesus says or paul says in ephesians 2 20 being the apostles and prophets but jesus being the chief cornerstone of this one flock and one shepherd The new covenant church is the people of God for whom Christ died, subsuming under it all those who believe previous to his coming. And it is the bride for whom Jesus died, as Paul states in Ephesians 5.25. Remember, it says that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All believers across all spans of time and those yet to come who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are washed by the blood of Christ at the cross and are imputed his righteousness because of his righteous life and our promised resurrection because of what he has done here we see the beauty of the church which comes to include gentiles that which was prophesied in the old testament and come fully to light after the life death and resurrection of jesus christ here jesus speaks of us jesus is the good shepherd who loves his sheep and knows them how then is it that he lays down his life for the sheep we see this in our final point First, we see that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep and that those sheep are known by him. And the second point, and then thirdly, the good shepherd gives his life. It is not taken from him. What a glorious point here of the sovereignty of God, uh, of the sovereignty of Jesus, even in the midst of his earthly ministry, even as he submits to the eternal plan and gives his life. It is he who gives it not anyone who takes it. Look at verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This is the charge I have received from my father. Oh boy, there's so much theological richness here that we could unpack this morning, but um, I guess we do have the time since I'm recording this, but really, Um, we want to stay within the context of the passage here and and get to, um, what we are driving at for this reason. That's the words that Jesus uses. Jesus is expressing that the fulfillment of the Trinitarian plan of the father sending the son for the purpose of the son, giving his life for the sheep is an indication of the mutual love of the father and the son, which is expressed by the giving of the spirit to the church. We see this great Trinitarian plan working itself out, and this is like a a live view of this as we're in John chapter 10, as Jesus is expressing this. He's speaking of the eternal triune plan of the Father sending the Son, the Son coming and living His life perfectly, and the mutual love that is between the Father and Son expressed in in the sending from the Father and the Son of the Spirit into the lives of believers. The indwelling of the Spirit is the confirmation of of God's love for us and and God's love in the Trinity. It is the voluntary action of the Son in giving his life that is pleasing to the Father in the intra-Trinitarian relations. And, And we can't think about this other than in eternity past, but it is working itself out in time and space before our eyes in John chapter 10. The love of the Father and the Son, the knowledge, this intimate knowledge and love is expressed in Jesus doing the will of the Father. It is not that Jesus' life is taken from him, though there will be those who are responsible for murdering him. We must recognize man's culpability and responsibility in this. The the scriptures speak of this. Look at Acts chapter two and verse 23. Listen to what it says. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. There we see the eternal plan of God, this definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men as Peter preaches that phenomenal Pentecost message he says that yes this was God's predetermined plan that Jesus would die but it is you have who have put him to death and then Acts four twenty seven and 28 as the church is rejoicing Over what God has done. It says, truly in the city there were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Notice that there is a plan of God that is happening here, but everyone is culpable. Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, the Jews, there is no one who is left without excuse about putting Jesus on the cross. It is our sin that has placed him there. But even though this is the way it is seen from a human perspective, we get that theological predestined perspective as well, that plan of God. It is not that they did this. It's not that they placed him on the cross without permission. No, he could have not laid down his life. He lays it down of his own accord. They could not have done this without permission of God or the permission of Jesus. We think about the time that the soldiers come to take the Lord Jesus. And, and Peter takes out that sword in order to uh, 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 to defend Jesus, to, to, to say the revolution begins now. Here, here, here the kingdom starts. He takes that sword and he apparently seeking to cut off the head of Malchus only gets his ear <laughs> right in the midst of Jesus's arrest. He shows that he is Yahweh God. He picks up the ear and he puts it on Malchus's head and he heals him completely. And yet he says, Peter, this is not the way. It is not revolution through the sword. It is revelation through the cross. For mankind to understand that Jesus is the perfect son of God who comes to lay down his life. He gives it of his own accord, dear ones. Not only this, not only does he have the authority to lay it down, he has the authority to take it up again. Here we See Jesus foretelling of his resurrection. He will, yes, lay down his life for the sheep. And he gives his life for the sheep. He knows who those sheep are and he willingly gives his life for the sheep but not only does he have that authority, he has the authority to take up his life again. We know that the resurrection is a Trinitarian act. The Father raises the Son. The Son has the authority to take up his own life. The Spirit raises the Son. And we have the confirmed promise that this salvation is finished. Not only because Jesus cries from the cross that it is finished, but It is confirmed and affirmed by the resurrection that he has defeated sin and death. What a truth for us this morning. Dear ones, what a truth for us. He then adds that this is the charge he has received from his father. This is the mission. This is the charge. This is the intra-Trinitarian plan that the father would send the son and Jesus obeys every jot and tittle of the law and every expression of God's command. For the destruction of death and sin. This is the intra-Trinitarian outworking of an internal decree that the father should send the son and the son would come and give his life and take it up again. In theology, we call this uh, in Latin, the pactum salutis. You can uh, memorize that phrase, pactum salutis. And when you're sitting around your Thanksgiving uh, table, you can throw out some, some great theological Latin truth, the pactum salutis. Here how Louis Burkhoff describes this, quote, we find that in the economy of redemption, there is, in a sense, a division of labor. The father is the originator, the son, the executor, and the Holy Spirit, the applier. This can only be the result of a voluntary agreement among the persons of the Trinity so that their internal relations assume the form of a covenant life. Now, that's some big fancy words for Burkhoff. He's simply saying, in eternity past, we have to think about these things in linear fashion, because we are not eternal creatures. But in eternity past, there was was a decision, an eternal decision. Again, we have to think about things in in, in space and time. That the the Father would send the Son, and the Son would come, that the Son would give his life, he would take his life, uh, or give his life and take his life back up again. That the Spirit would come to to fill believers, that this is a Spirit-enabled ministry of Jesus, that this great Trinitarian plan has occurred. We call this the pactum salutis. This this pact between the Trinity, that this is how this would be accomplished. And it, it corresponds to Father, Son, and Spirit relations. Jesus is the good shepherd who loves his sheep, and his life is not taken away from him. He freely gives it. This is all a part of the eternal plan of God in order for him to save for himself a united people from every tribe, tongue, and nation known as the church. For those of us in Christ... Do we see as Keller encourages us that the vast universe, knowing it has been made by the eternal triune God and in wonder, worship him, that he would, as the God of the universe, also be our good shepherd? Does that impact you this morning? Does that encourage you this morning? Does that make you want to worship him this morning? The good shepherd lays down his life for those sheep that he knows, and it is him who gives his life for them. No one takes it from him. He gives it for them, and he takes it up again in the resurrection does that fill you with encouragement this morning dear believer that you can rest in the finished work of christ and that he knows you intimately that he died for you particularly it ought to the god of the universe is our good shepherd not only tending to us with such care but showing us such great care as to give us his life taking our sin and shame and bringing us into his fold It's a joyful truth. We are not able to, on our own, rescue ourselves from our sin, but how much more than being rescued from sin are we brought into a family and cared for by our good shepherd? He has already accomplished this. We look back upon John 10 as this great unfolding. Many many of those things which have already occurred, but we look forward to the day. When our good shepherd, who knows us by name, calls us home. It's a joyful truth. Be encouraged by that. Be strengthened by that in your faith today. Because sometimes we feel like we are lost sheep in this world, but this is not the end. Jesus is Lord over all. And as such, he is our good shepherd. And as he took up his life in resurrection, he will take us up in resurrection and bring us unto himself so that where he is we may also be in the fold a part of the family encourage one another with this dear saints resting in him are you pointing your brothers and sisters in this local assembly to do the same you may be the one who comes alongside of them but you need to point them to the great shepherd yes be a be a good hired hand don't flee when danger comes but we don't take people unto our wisdom. We take them to the good shepherd. Let's be committed to that with one another today and this coming week. Perhaps you're listening into this and you're thinking, how can I be a part of this? How can I be one of those sheep? How can I make sure that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is my good shepherd, is, is the shepherd who has laid down his life for me, who comes for Me, who takes up his life for me, who takes up my life as his life has been taken up. My call to you is to turn from your sin and trust in him today. Trust in his perfect life, death, and resurrection. The eternal son of God puts on flesh, lives perfectly, is the perfect lamb of God. There we have more sheep language. He gives his life for the sheep and he knows them. He gives his life for them. He takes it up again. He puts them in the family. He takes them up, takes us up, resurrects us to a life eternal with him. Repent and believe. Reach out to me through our website if you have questions about that, brothers and sisters who are a part of Fellowship Bible Church regularly. I wish we were able to gather together this morning. Unfortunately, this is where we find ourselves. And I ask you to join me in a final word of prayer. Lord, let us take courage today by what we hear and be encouraged and strengthened in our faith by the truth of your word. Pray that you would bless these words, Lord. I pray that you would have gotten me out of the way so that only the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ shows through in this message. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Look forward to seeing you when we get back from our vacation. I love you. See you soon.